Bonjour mes beautés et bienvenue. Welcome to the next episode of the Paris Lessons. Merci d'être là. I hope that everyone is doing very, very well. I don't know if you can hear those church bells in the background. There's a church that's a few blocks over in my quartier, in my neighborhood. I can hear them very clearly. Let's see if you can. That was nice timing. Donc, voilà, this week's topic is Beyond Fearless. Those of you who have taken my French confidence course and are familiar with my ideas about the term unapologetically and any aspiration to be unapologetically yourself or live unap unapologetically, you won't be surprised by my ideas about the uh, concept of being fearless. I will answer a wonderful question, two questions actually that came in at the very end and also I'll share a really nice comment that I received via email. I love hearing from all of you. Even if I don't have a chance to write back to everyone, know that I read every single email. Email, by the way, is the best way to... Um, It's always the best way to get in touch with me. I'm often on email, whether I'm at school or at work, and it's just a more efficient way for me to, it's actually just a better way for me to take time to sit back and, and read everything and enjoy and write back uh, versus the direct messages on Instagram. Donc voila, fearless, fearless. So I have a few ideas about fearless. I'll save, I'll save I'm going to work my way down to the, the most concise one um, through this talk, but I wanted, I was inspired to talk to you about being fearless because it's such an, it's such an American concept and I've seen it all over Instagram lately. Now, let me preface this by saying, uh, I've also, let me preface this by saying that a lot of the reasons that I've seen it all over Instagram is I've seen it in the feeds of people that I have a lot of respect for and who have wonderful ideas that are very inspiring. And these are people that, um, that inspire me and that I admire. So I think that's also why this whole wave of fearless fearlessness coming into my feed really, ça m'a frappé. It's like, it shocked me. Um, And also, you know, living in French culture, fearless is a really, it's, it's a, when I say it's such an American concept, it's because it's very strong and, and direct and extreme, extreme. Um, before I get into that, I wanted to circle back really quickly to last week's episode about French feelings. I just wanted to add something. I came up with an idea for an exercice that might help you to incorporate this more objective way of viewing love that the French have. Um, selon mes expériences, follow, you know, according to my experiences. Um, so what I had imparted to you last week was that even though the French have a more direct way of communicating with each other about love, even though they have a more objective perspective on love, this doesn't mean that the same feelings at the same struggle um, aren't there. So one way that you can adopt that more objective point of view about love is if, for example, if you write in a journal or if you don't journal, don't worry, I'm I'm not, I'm not going to suggest that you start keeping a journal about your love life, but take out a piece of paper. And if there's a romantic situation that you're in that's troubling you, 
that you have a lot of um, conflicting feelings around or a lot of pain around or sadness, whatever it is, difficult feelings, write out that story. Write out the story. Tell the story of how you met this person, uh, how you feel about them, what's been happening, what they've said, what they've done that you've liked, that you've not liked, et cetera, et cetera. Just tell it all as if you're talking to a therapist. And then what I want you to do is whether you've written on your computer or you've written it out on a piece of paper, I want you to then put it, take it from the first person to the third person. So what do I mean by that? So every time if you're If you're a woman, for example, every time that you have the word I, you're going to then put she, right? You're going to put it into the third person. So now it becomes, now you have this distance when you read it, almost like a friend is telling you a story or you're reading a short story, which by the way, is oftentimes the greatest benefit that we can receive when when we go to see a therapist is because we have this all of a sudden sort of third person perspective on our own story. So I suggest doing that as a wonderful way to really try to um, to invite this more objective point of view of romantic love into your life. A more objective, meaning for me, a more French point of view, especially if there's a situation that you are struggling with right now. And if you are, my heart goes out to you. Being human is, is it's, deep stuff. And everything that I'm learning in philosophy is just confirming that because for centuries, for centuries, humans have been trying to figure out what we're doing here, why we feel what we feel, what feelings are, what it means to be alive and not necessarily. I think one of the things that fascinates me the most about philosophy, and I'm digressing for a second and then I'll get into the beyond fearless promise. Um, What fascinates me so much about philosophy when juxtaposed against personal development is, is we, is when you, when you look at those questions in personal development, they're, they're, they're through like, um, they're through a lens of, of spirituality. However, in philosophy, yes, there are periods of time in philosophy where, um, you know, philosophy was a very, a rather religious endeavor or, or closely tied to religion. However, through much of philosophy, um, it has been neither religious nor spiritual. It's been quite, these have been, you know, practical questions asked by very, um, by, by practical people. I can't think of a better word to describe them, but, you know, not questions born of in, in any spiritual or religious inspiration. So as I said, being human, deep, deep stuff. Okay. My beauty, my beauties. Fearless. Oh, this word makes me crazy. So the first thing that I wanted to just share with you on a personal level, um, in case anyone who has been um, you know, following my story on Instagram or anyone who studied French with me and followed the evolution of French is Beautiful and now the creation of Speak French, Spread Love and you know, see me go to the... The Sorbonne for undergrad and now masters and you know, moved to Paris, all the things, please know that that those things were not done fearlessly. I do not believe I, I mean, I wish that we were so powerful as to be able to mute or erase or ignore our fear. I think that fear is a very human 
feeling. Um, I think that fear also keeps us grounded. I believe that a lot of these people recently that are talking about, you know, fearlessness, what they're really talking about is very solid confidence. But, um, you know, my honest perspective on why, why they're choosing fearless is because it's compact, it's great for marketing, you know, it's one word. The English language is, is amazingly efficient in that sense. And, you know, solid confidence doesn't really sell books as well or, you know, probably get likes on social media as well. Um, fear, our fear is also a very wonderful indicator of how much something means to us, you know? So when I say nothing I've done has been, has been, you know, completely fearless, this doesn't mean that, you know, I didn't have a lot of confidence in myself or actually more than being confident in myself. I was so confident in my vision. I had, um, one of my students actually reached out to me recently and she had to do a paper for her master's program in fashion business and she wanted to use to use sort of um my story in French is beautiful as the case study for this paper based more on style and culture than fashion of course um but anyway she asked some wonderful wonderful questions about being an entrepreneur and one of the reasons aside from just you know being so flattered and, and, you know, you know how much I love education, just being so happy to help someone in their educational journey. Um, I knew that she, that she would probably ask me some great questions in the interview that would get me thinking because I don't get asked about, um, you know, being a creator nearly as often as I get asked about the French language. Bien sûr, of course. But when one of the questions that she had asked, which I don't have in front of me right now, so I'm paraphrasing it in my response, was basically, you know, about this idea of, you know, what it means to be an entrepreneur and, and having self-confidence. And, and for me, that has meant, and I don't, I wouldn't really typically call myself an entrepreneur. I consider myself more um, someone who's very creative, someone who um, is very passionate about, her vision, someone who has a lot of ideas. So for me anyway, what, what we were calling an entre- being an entrepreneur in this interview um, and the confidence tied to it, um, for me, it's really about having the luck and sometimes the burden of, of an idea coming to you through any form of inspiration that you are, that you, that you believe in without question, whether or not you believe in your idea to, to execute it. So I think that if you're someone, for example, who's has some fear around something, know that it's natural. You know, you might have heard me say in my podcast a few weeks ago about you know one of the one of the um, one of the cards that I gave to one of my girlfriends that I was on the trip with the road trip with the summer. That beautiful card that was in Spanish. You know, if, if if you're afraid, do it with fear. I think that fear can really be a constructive energy rather than a destructive energy. So long as fear doesn't keep you from doing anything. Fear is not a bad thing. It keeps us grounded. It lets us know that what we're doing is very important to us because we're actually not afraid of doing it. We're afraid of not obtaining the results we want or the effect we want. And I'll get into that in a second. Fear can... Fear, as I said, as long as it doesn't keep us from what we are doing, fear can really keep us on track. And as I'll 
I'll prove my my point in a very direct way shortly, but we we cannot escape fear when we're talking about being without fear or fearlessness, at least not in the English language. So know that you might you might have doubts about your capacity to do something, but if you're afraid, don't don't take the more superstitious route and say to yourself, well, if I'm afraid, that must be my intuition telling me not to do this, or that must be something in me telling me I'm not ready, or it's not a great idea, or it's not the right decision. I'm relating this to business a little bit, but obviously this, I think, relates more for us to our um, our personal lives and our work lives. Because, you know, no one likes to make the wrong decision. No one likes to let anybody down. No one likes to miss out on anything, right? So fear is a very constructive thing that we can work with that I do not think, even if we could push it aside, I do not think that it could be pushed aside. Um, But what I'll share with you about my journey is, you know, of course I I was afraid going back to school you know, at the Sorbonne, studying La Philosophie, you know, one of the best programs in France for philosophy, going back to school at age 40. For me, it wasn't about my age, but it was more just about, you know, doing it in tandem with all the responsibilities that I have with work and, and just sort of being out of the groove of being a student, you know, even though I'm very much in the groove of working with students, um, you know, same moving to Paris, you know, all the all the promises that I made in my application for my visa to the French government about everything that I wanted to do for their language, for their culture, you know, one day for for local French people, which I'm now getting to do with speak French, spread love, create jobs. Of course, there was this voice in me that thought, well, what if what if what if we can't do it? However, I did it and I believed in the vision so much that I knew that I didn't have any other choice but to do it. And that's what I said that sometimes being an entrepreneur or a creative person comes with a bit of a burden because you get these ideas that you believe in so much and you almost kind of like, you sort of um, have this moment where in your head you're kind of like looking to your left, looking to your right, like, isn't there someone else better fit for this or isn't there someone else who should do this? But you realize that... The idea came to you and it's on you. And when you believe it in it 150%, then you know that the regret you'll have if you don't try is worse than anything else that could possibly, possibly happen. So the other one of the other things that I wanted to mention in line with that, as I said earlier, when we're afraid of doing something or making a decision or whatever it is, or you know, having a conversation. We're not afraid of doing the thing. We're afraid of the effect that it's going to have. We're, we're afraid that we're not going to control the effect in a way that's going to be satisfying for us. However, know this. There's something that we talk about a lot in philosophy, which is very interesting. Um, philosophers have obsessed forever and continue to obsess over knowing the cause of things. So I wanted to put this in there for those of you who are writing me more and more about your interest in philosophy and loving when I share, you know, philosophical bits here. Know that that we talk a lot more about knowing the cause of something than we do the effect of something in philosophy because we can't really know the effect anyway, but when you really really think about it, 
knowing the cause of something is powerful. And so when you're inspired, when you've received some form of inspiration, your, your intuition is talking to you, that's your cause. And there's a wonderful phrase in Latin that I'm just going to paraphrase. When we, when we talk about knowing the cause a lot in philosophy, there's this phrase, you know, he or she who has been lucky enough to know the cause of things. So if there's something that you're afraid of doing, somewhere you're afraid of going, someone you're afraid of, of talking to, focus more on the cause, which for me, I'm suggesting here, means your inspiration, your desire. Having a cause and knowing the cause of what you want to do, knowing your why, that's powerful. And if you have a why, if you have a cause, know how lucky you are and don't let the fear of any effect get in the way of you following that desire, following that why, right? Taking that cause to its next step, to its effect. I spoke last week a little bit. I mentioned the philosopher William James, who studied quite a bit here en France, in France, and I mentioned his theory of emotions. This brings me to my next point about why, you know, trying to be fearless to me just doesn't make any sense. So his theory is that our emotions really, really are physical. They come from our bodies. We can't control them, right? They're, they're, they're a reaction to a physical sensation that we feel. A very great example of this would be, um, you know, if you were, if you were um, a prey in the wild and you saw a predator, right? You would, you know, would all of a sudden your, your blood temperature would rise and your heartbeat would beat faster. And this is a great example of what James is talking about. So you can't control that physical reaction. That emotion is, is the effect, if you will. That physical reaction is the cause of that emotion. The emotion is the effect. So we can't actually control our emotions. We can't actually control our reactions to these sorts of physical events. That's what heartbreak is right? It's physical. That's what fear is physical. Surprise is physical. Sadness is physical. So if you start to think of your fear more in this way, you will really do yourself the favor of, of taking a break from Stein, from trying to control it. Because what I'm proposing here is that it's, it's uncontrollable. It would be great if we could ignore fear. It would be great if we could silence our fears. But you know, we really, the only reason we can, the only way we can learn to not be afraid of something is by experience, right? Going from taking the cause to its effect by learning that we're not going to get hurt, by learning that it's all going to turn out okay. And of course, sometimes it doesn't turn out how we want, but there's, there's no way to just mute that fear. And my last, my last Argument, argument, if you will, as I said, is the most succinct one. You know, okay, so let me take this back a couple of steps. I went to a conference at the Sorbonne uh, last weekend, a couple weekends ago, and a lot of it was about poetry and the visual effects that poetry have in our mind, images that are evoked when we're reading poetry, because poetry is a very, very, and I hope that you loved, oh, it's the conference that I spoke about in the newsletter last weekend. I hope that you loved the poetry of the poetess that I talked about in the newsletter that last weekend. So if I'm looking at the word fearless, how on earth am I not supposed to think of fear? How on earth am I not supposed to have an echo of a physical sensation of fear in my body? 
right? Now, even if in French, fearless would be two words, sans peur, which we rarely say in French, doesn't have the same impact. But, same, but case in point, peur means, means fear in French. I can't, I literally cannot have fear out of my mind if I'm looking at the word fearless. So maybe you can think with fear. Maybe fear can be something that we think of more in a way that we're, we're living with it, we're working with it, but we're not afraid of it. Do not be afraid of your fear. If I had been afraid of my fear, I wouldn't be here talking to you today. And remember what I said earlier, that doesn't mean that I've done everything I've done up until today fearlessly. That doesn't mean that I'm doing everything I'm doing today fearlessly, but I'm so hooked into my cause that I don't have time to obsess over the the effet, the, the effects, and, and I'm so convinced by the, the potential of my visions that I can't really be bothered with any other very human, very natural thoughts about, you know, doubt of my potential to do anything. I'm working with my fear and, and I'm not afraid of my fear that, that I can tell you. I've learned to, that, that fear is just a little, a little background noise, but it's not something that we can delete. It's not something that we can mute. Um, to me, the, what I see described as living fearlessly in, um, you know, when I read blogs and books and things like that, you know, I think, like I said before, the spirit of it behind it is great. It's sort of a solid confidence, but, you know, solid, you know, again, that like unshakable sort of extreme. No one's getting in my way. But when you think about it that way, you lose a softness, you lose a malleability that enables you to really um to really react well to different changes and be open to maybe even adjustments in your inspiration along the way, you know, being a little bit, you know, not being so rigid helps you open to be, to open to be, um, helps you to be open to feedback, to communication with other people along the way. This fearlessness though, what I, what I really don't like about it is it seems so ungrounded to me and it seems like it encourages people to ignore a very raisonnable, reasonable, very important, very real, very inescapable part of their human experience, their emotions. Et voilà, chers amis. So now I'm going to answer, let me actually read uh, this wonderful comment that I got and then I'll answer the questions that came in. Bonjour, Karienne. Thank you again for sharing your experience with the culture of romance in France. I've never liked how dating works in Canada or North America. Yeah, I agree. Dating dating's pretty pretty painful. Um, I have some strong feelings about this. I think it's a I think it's a waste of of one's time and it's a waste of other people's time. I mean when you know, you know, right? But I do understand because I've been there. You're waiting. You're, you, you can fall in love with someone with the potential of a relationship and you can create all sorts of stories about like, oh, this person just doesn't, just doesn't have an easy time communicating or they don't want to share their feelings. In which case you have to ask yourself the question, how long do you want to wait? Or are you ready to believe that, that this person is coming to you as she or, or he, you know, really truly is. 
She goes on to say, I love the idea of following the natural flow of feelings in a relationship. It seems so much more organic and true in honoring your feelings or emotions and the emotions of others. Furthermore, it holds space for the idea that appearance is not the sole basis for attraction completely. Being who I am, I am much more likely to be intensely attracted to someone for their mind or heart, etc. Because as it is true for women, how men look is the least interesting thing about them as well. So this is so she's referring to something from my French confidence program, actually in the style section, where I encourage people, you know, when you're dressing yourself more like a French woman, to remember that what you're wearing is actually the least interesting thing about you. Because I remember when I was living, still living in the States and actually my first couple of years here, still having this more American way of, you know, getting dressed for parties and things, just being a little bit obsessive, me personally, being a little bit obsessive about, you know, my whole outfit and and dressing wasn't wasn't as fun as it is today because also I had forgotten that what, what I was really going to be remembered for at a party was, you know, were the ideas that I expressed or the energy that I brought because what I'm wearing is the least interesting thing about me. Thank you, Mabel, for sending that in. Here we go. This is a great question around sleep, which actually inspired... Um, a sort of a second question de ma part on my on my behalf. Uh, my question is around sleep, please, and how sleep is seen in Parisian culture. Generally, at home, I'm in bed at ten, as I'm always so exhausted. That's I think that's a great bedtime. That's when I'm in bed a lot too. But when we are in Paris, generally we stay out much later, and so does everyone else. It seems. Do Parisians tend to start their days later than we do, or do they survive on less sleep? So. Um, so compared to New York, for example, Parisians do start their days much later. Even during the week, you know, the streets of Paris can be still sort of quiet around eight compared to New York, which is, you know, up at seven, it feels like every time I'm there. And from what I remember from when I lived there, Parisians, um, you know, like at least in my neighborhood, people are generally out late Thursday, Friday, Saturday night. I actually wouldn't say that Parisians are out late all the time at all. This is a very interesting question. Um, you know, Parisian French people, you know, really care about their well-being. Rest is very important to them. So, you know, if someone does stay out really late um, one night, they're probably going to, you know, take it really easy the next day, you know, obviously if it's over the weekend. If they have a you know a regular nine to five job, um, but this is an interesting thing that happens where I think that when people come to visit, they 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 have a sort of skewed vision of what French culture and Parisian life is because there's a there are things they want it to be because they want it to be those things so that they can do those things on vacation. For example, like you know stay out really late and. And all those fun things and have a lot of wine at dinner and have like the digestivo, the digestif and everything at the end. And so, which will bring me to my second point in a sec, in a minute. So I think it's natural that people come here and they have the impression that Parisians are out really, really late all the time, but they're not. They're normal people with jobs and families. But I think that when we go anywhere for vacation and we're looking to let go a bit and we're looking to stay out a little bit later than normal, we sort of tend to see those things. That's what we're seeking out. Um, Parisians do eat dinner much, much later, which I still have a hard time with. You know, well, a dinner reservation with friends might be at, you know, 9 p.m. And that's just me personally. I don't like to eat very late. And, you know, 
lately, I enjoy, at least during the week, going to bed, as I said earlier, around 10. I really, really love being up early in the morning. Actually, even when it's dark, I love to. It's just like a nice, quiet time where I can read all of your emails and, and you know, meditate and just have a, a very peaceful start to the day. The question, the second, the second sort of question that I would add to this is I feel like people also think that French people drink a ton of alcohol. <laughs> and this has been on my mind a little bit lately because, you know, sometimes you, you, it's, I mean, it's easy. You see, we think of French culture, we think of French wine. And I all, and I've been wanting to add this for a while because, you know, you see me talking about French wine. I talk about French wine in the membership. I talk, I post about I posted about this really lovely long dinner I had Friday night with my uncles who are in town and I posted the wine which was fabulous. Um, so I just wanted to be clear, you know, and normally when I post about wine it's because it's 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 an it's a there's like an educational angle because those of you who've been my students you've heard me talk about you know the different regions and the different cepage the different grape varieties and all these things and so you really have my 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 um, hope has been to include you in this journey of like mine of really knowing more about French wine and really discovering my taste in French wine. So normally when I share about a specific wine, it's sort of related to something I've said before, like the Saint Joseph that I had Friday night. I love that. I first discovered Saint-Joseph when I was living in Bordeaux in 2017. So, um, and actually it was at that restaurant Friday night where there were, um, it's an amazing restaurant and I don't have the name in front of me, um, but I will, um, I'll post it in the student group or maybe actually I'll, I'll include it in the email with this podcast. It's an amazing restaurant. And there happened to be quite a few tourists, um, travelers there Friday night more than usual. And it was interesting because I saw, because they were, and many of them were Anglophone, they were doing like the whole thing, the, you know, the digestif and lots of bottles of wine and lots of champagne. And I can see, and then I, oh, I know what it was. And I, and then yesterday I heard on a podcast, someone was making a joke about how, um, you know, she can't really drink that much anymore as she's getting older. And she wishes she was like an older French man or a French woman who could just drink rosé all the time. And I thought, gosh, where did this, I mean, I guess I get where this idea came from, but it's false. So and she was asking in this podcast, you know, how do French people do it? Well, my answer is how, how do they do it? They don't do it. They don't drink that much. They drink often. They'll drink with meals, but they don't drink that much. They don't every dinner do like champagne, wine, digestif. They don't get drunk. I mean, the only times I've ever seen French people really tipsy is at a private birthday party at someone's home or maybe a birthday party at a bar, or or New Year's, or maybe again, like a small intimate dinner where we're enjoying some really great wine. But you know, French people, I mean, they definitely, you don't see as many people, French people drunk in public as you do um, Americans in the States. So, um, but I wanted to put that out there because I can also appreciate how someone traveling to France, traveling to Paris can, would get the idea that French people drink a lot because you'll go to a restaurant at lunch and you'll see someone with a glass of wine. You'll go to a restaurant for dinner and you'll see people with a bottle of wine. You'll, you'll be walking around at five or 6 PM and it's l'heure de l'apéro. It's apéro time. And you'll see people having a glass of wine on terrasse, but they're having one or two, maybe glasses of wine. They're not like, they're not, you know, 
They're not overindulging. It's like it's a real culture of moderation, moderation. This I touched on this in one of the membership months. I touch on this in Living with Food the French Way for those of you who are more interested in this topic. Um, but again, like I said, it's so easy when we go somewhere, especially when we're going somewhere on vacation. And we're ourselves looking forward to staying out late and indulging in some great wine. You know, the things that we're looking forward to doing are standing out to us more. But, um, you know, just sort of like the myth of, you know, the myth of the the rock stars that party all the time, but they still make all this amazing music and, you know, and they're super successful. Well, we found out after actually a lot of those people that were, you know, completely like drowning in drugs and alcohol, they actually were really miserable and they weren't that successful so I just wanted to throw that out there that you know like for example this this woman on her podcast who was saying you know how do French people drink so much they don't you can't really like drink like that all the time and still be rested and still be functional you're right every once in a while you can but what you can certainly do is enjoy with moderation. Moderation is super chic. And one of the ways that, you know, the added layers that I found to enjoying wine and enjoying in a chic, um, moderate way is learning about it. So when I'm tasting wine, I'm tasting the AOC, the cépage, the variety, the region, especially places I've been to. You know, when I taste a wine from Saint-Emilion, I can taste that sunshine. I can taste that altitude. When I taste the Saint-Joseph, I picture that land. I picture what the air felt like when I was there. Same thing when I'm drinking a Burgundy. I know what it smells like there. I know what the climate's there. And then what's really fun about wine too is depending on its year, it's kind of like your time traveling because the wine is very sensitive to climate is, is a, is a huge climate and weather is a huge part of, it's a, it's a very deciding factor when it comes to the birth of a wine, the creation of a wine, if you will. So you're tasting that moment in time. I love wine and I love, love, love sharing about wine and, um, and, and voila, I've been wanting to add this sort of note to my wine shares for some time. So thank you, Mabel, for sending me this great question. I hope that, um, I hope that, that the answer was soothing to you. Know that you're normal for needing sleep. French people need sleep too. Et voilà. And then I have another question. This is a travel question. This I thought it would interest some of you. Um, this listener is hoping to visit Paris with her family, her husband and two boys next summer for a longer period, maybe three weeks. It's a huge dream of hers. I totally get it. That was my dream in 2014 to spend a month here. She said, we'd love to stay in an apartment. Do you have any suggestions on where I could start to look? So my first suggestion would be Airbnb. There's another really wonderful site called Paris Attitude. They have wonderful apartments. I would actually check them first. I don't work with them, but I've 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 looked for family and friends and other students. Um, you know, I've, I'm f- quite familiar with a lot of the apartment rental websites, and I discovered that website and. Um, my uncles actually stayed in one of their apartments and they loved it. And I have a student who stayed in one of their apartments last year and she loved it. So I would do Paris attitude first. Um, and then I would just start looking on Airbnb because if you start looking now, it's great. You might actually get your pick of whichever one really looks great to you. Et voilà, chers amis, merci d'être là et je vous souhaite 
une très belle semaine. And there you go, dear friends. Thank you for being here. And I wish you a very beautiful week.